Hey guys, just before we start the show and before our past selves get down to business, our future selves would like to take the opportunity to say thank you to those who have been so supportive since we released our first couple of episodes. To Brendan and Nathan and everyone at Flight Through Entirety, thank you so much for all your support and your nice words and your encouragement, um, especially since we are such huge fans of your cast. Great thanks go to J.R. Southall of the Blue Box Podcast too. Thanks so much for having us on your show. Thanks also to Rob and Dave at the Doctor Who Show, Mark and Rob from 42 to Doomsday, Jono from Zeus Plug, Jim and Martin from Crinoid Pod, Bob and Mark from Proctor Who, and particularly Eric Stadnick from Doctor Who The Writer's Room for his friendship. Last, but certainly not least, thank you to Clayton Hickman, you beautiful man. That's the the bell, guys. We're getting played out. So the show is starting. Uh, We hope you enjoy episode two. And we're going to make it so that we're back on the third Sunday of each month with a brand new episode of New to Who. Thanks to all our new listeners that have subscribed since we started. We hope that we keep you entertained. Easy, love. Don't try. Just do as the Brigadier says. Hello, sweet dogs. We are new to who? I'm Stephen. I'm Dan. I'm Colin. And I'm Ed. What? (laughs) (laughs) Ed's joining us uh, this week. It's probably the last time we're going to get him in the room because he is moving to Japan. But Ed is an actual new to Hua, uh, possibly part of the demographic we're actually trying to reach out to. Yeah. So uh, Ed is joining us today for Terror of the Autons. And Ed, do you want to tell us how you you got into this predicament? Yeah, well, uh, it it was actually, um, it was a while ago that I saw my first episode of Doctor Who across the board uh, and that was that was new who so mm-hmm. I, I guess david tennant is my doctor um and uh, a friend of mine introduced me to blink of course uh and then from there i moved in with Stephen and had the pleasure of uh the company of the other chaps watching some yeah. of the old episodes and i just found the the conversation <laughs> fascinating um, especially with all of the context that they can sort of you know absorb and, and conjure up and, and sort of play back and all the little bits and pieces of trivia and yeah. arcane items that are just really fascinating and and now here I am, you know. You on, were actually the guinea pig for what this podcast has become. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, and, and so, yeah, I'm thrilled to uh, be a part of it, to be honest. Yeah, we're uh, thrilled to have you. Mm. So this episode is going to be about the terror of the autons yeah so a, a bit a bit of a background to this one shall we 1971 mm. that's when it was uh, screened in january 1971 yeah. so it would have been filmed in 1970 mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the third doctor is played by by john pertwee we get mm. introduced to uh joe grant played by katie manning mm-hmm. as the companion who actually is the archetypal female companion going forward from this point onwards but we'll mm. we'll talk about that more later on and we get a little-known villain introduced to Doctor Who for the first time ever. The Master. The Master. Yeah. Finally. And it's uh, so not, even, not just any Master, the Delgado Master. Robert. The definitive. The, the definitive, the original, one the, might the, say. The blueprint, yeah, for all, uh, all, all the rest of them. And he's just a major moustache twirler. Just, like, oh. so arch. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah Roger Delgado is just so great. So it's the first intro of the Master, mm. a huge villain for Doctor Who. And, yeah, yeah. And also the first episode for Joe Grant, uh, one of the now probably most loved companions of classic Doctor Who. Yeah, I'd agree. It's pretty big. Yeah. Pretty and big for a 
Is, uh, is it Yates' first episode? It's referenced that um, he's uh, introduced, uh, I think, in the Spearhead. Yes, space. that's what I thought. He, get, he no. actually doesn't make an appearance until this one. And he gets one. quite oh, a lot so of screen time as well. Yeah, yeah. He gets was, a lot of well, he was, um, Probably more than he gets in any, ever again. I believe it's the second story. No, the first story of the story? second season oh, of John, John Perry. Perry. So it's season eight of yeah. Doctor Who overall. Um, to introduce this as a high concept sort of one sentence statement is basically the doctor's best enemy plans an alien invasion with the help of an army of plastic dummies oh, oh man you're so good at the sentence <laughs> so so that's where that's where we're at um obviously we've got the unit family um mm. brigadier benton and yates are, mm-hmm. uh, are front and center of this one as well mm. um as far as in the production house who have we got Okay, so last time we talked about uh, Philip Hinchcliffe and Robert Holmes, and I suggested that they were the best uh, scriptwriter and mm. producer combination. I think I stand by that, but if these guys aren't the ones who rival them for that premier position, mm. I'm not sure who else does. Definitely. Mm. It's, it's Barry Letts as the producer, a very innovative man ahead of his time, as we'll discover later on, and Terence Dix, who, to a generation of, mm-hmm. uh, of readers, of, of young children, introduced basically reading and, and literacy yeah. as a thing. Um, Terence Dix is the script editor here, and, and he's probably one of the... Um, I would say the man who most understands the mechanics of Doctor Who. Yeah, he's how yeah. many how many target novelizations oh has he So so he would have novelized, um, I would say, close to you know fifty odd target novelizations. Easily, as a kid, easily he would have been easily when I was at the library looking for these novelizations. He would easily be the name that I probably read the most, yes. just yep. because there were so many of them. Yes. And then I, because of that, I started looking for his ones. And, yep. you know, they are, they are, they are all too. of the same style. Kind of, he does have a style that he sticks to. But, um, mm. but when, you, when you combine him with um, Barry Letts, who's a great producer, all of the stories that they made together on the screen, are just, they're just so great. They're, you know, that's mm. right. I think they've got a five-year run mm. with John Pertwee. Uh, and there's never an occasion where you're watching any of these episodes, even the very worst of their run, and say, this is unwatchable, or this mm. is something that falls well below the standard you'd expect of something that should be screened on the BBC at tea time on Saturday. Mm. There's never a terrible episode. There's some not-so-good ones. There's a lot of great ones, but there's never any ones where you sort of think they don't know what they're doing mm. or these guys are out of their depth, uh, which mm. is uh, a testament to them, I think. And that's one of the reasons why this we chose this one, uh, if you're new to Who, because it's a great intro to Pertwee. Yeah, and it's actually Barry Letts who directs this as well. Mm. Um, yeah. Some experimentation with what's called colour separation overlay, CSO. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, really yeah. experimenting. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> some yeah. work, some, some doesn't. Yeah. Dismal failures. But, but uh, you know, kudos to him for experimenting at that point in time. And uh, so heavily. And it's Robert Holmes who is the writer of this particular episode. Mm. Uh, basically reprising the very first John Pertwee story, Spearhead from Space. It's almost a beat-for-beat recreation, except <laughs> this time we have a much heavier presence of the doctor doctor of mm. unit and of course the introduction of of the master so it's it really is a good jumping on point if you want to know more about the pertwee era if you want to see what's representative of it and get a decent enough introduction in terms of the mechanics and the uh, the, st- yeah. the house style i suppose of yeah. of bbc doctor who at that time mm. i feel like it's like barely even about the autons it's more about the doctor versus the master it is yeah. well, and that's a really good and it's run. so important though yeah it's, it's such really an important it's such part. a great relationship especially pertwee delgado because they obviously mm. are best buddies they went yeah. to writer together that's true yeah. Actually, yeah. they 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 trod, they trod the boards together. They did, yeah. <laughs> they were and very good friends. Yeah. You feel it. They don't really have a lot of scenes opposite each other. Maybe maybe none. Yeah, I don't, I don't, not till they episode just, four. They speak yeah. on the phone, and yeah, that's right. Yeah. So they, up until that point, they, there's that's no right. meeting of the minds. Yeah. They're, they're really just aware of each other and being in the same vicinity up until. And they're, they're not even really trying to outmaneuver each other at that point. They're just <laughs> sort of 
you know, the doctor hears what the master's done and sort of thinks, yes, of course he would do that. And, <laughs> and, really and the master's just off, you know, implementing his evil plan that's you know, fairly circuitous. And just, <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, guys, was that the spoiler music I just heard? <laughs> sounds like it. Okay, uh, it did sound it. like it. We'll get into this uh, uh, seriously now. If you haven't had, if you haven't had a chance to to watch it. Uh, since the last time. Yep. Every every episode we're going to do this. We're going to make sure that we let you know when we're about to get right into the uh, nitty gritty yeah, of and, the story. And definitely spoil something that is now about forty five years old. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but if you haven't had a chance, now's the time to just stop. Uh, mm. Please do come back afterwards. Um, yeah. And hopefully you've enjoyed Terror of the Autons. How could you not? Oh, forty five years. That, no, it's, it's longer actually. And it's really, yeah, it really. I think it, I think it holds up pretty well, but it's mm. it, it's definitely of its time, like the pacing and the, like we've spoken mm. in other episodes, that there's a few filler bits where they go from place to place, but mm. it's not too yeah. much. I don't th- feel it's like there's too, too much filler in this story. <laughs> well, what did you think? Because you're you're the one watching with modern eyes. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, I mean, this was the concept that I actually really loved when I first started watching some of the classic Who with these guys. Is the, the mm. idea of the episode three filler <laughs> yeah. moving from room to room yeah. going from place to place really in no real need to do so um but yeah no i have to say i, I think that happens a little in uh in terror of the autons but it, it doesn't really feel like as, as much mm. as it is in some of the other stories one thing i have to say about our episode three with autons is that a lot of it's saved by a little known group called action by havoc action by havoc were all over episode three like a rash as well as episode two. Yeah, whenever uh, whenever action by Havoc goes, death follows. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But for those not in the know, uh, Action by Havoc are a group of stunt artists. They were employed uh, on shows like Doctor Who uh, briefly in the 70s, mainly just John Pertwee. There's only, I think, about six or seven stories that they were actually involved with. But yeah. they often posed as unit soldiers. And also bad alien. guys. Yeah. Yeah. And you can really tell because it just shifts from like very awkward really badly choreographed bbc action where people <laughs> punch each other really badly and it just switches into full-on 60s action mode yeah uh, and it's uh, action by havoc time is, is it episode three where the unit soldier gets blasted off that sort of hill yeah. by the first yes. yes. and and it's very clear that it's a real person there you know it's not a rag doll it's it's a real person oh falling. you're talking about terry walsh rolling down the hill all right it's so pretty great at this point what we see is is terry walsh this isn't a dummy this isn't a plastic dummy. That's right. It's this no. is a stuntman who's yeah. hit by a car, yeah. goes tumbling down the side of a quarry mm. for a good length of... It yeah. feels like 20 seconds. Yeah, I was no, shocked by yeah, it. Yeah. I, I, I was remember like, oh, God. when I watched it for the first time on VHS, I remember thinking, that looks too real for Doctor Who. Mm. <laughs> but there, there's a reason behind that. It was real. <laughs> it was- the poor bloke took a tumble, uh, bottom over nipple, straight down, straight to the bottom of the a bit, quarry. A bit further than he yeah. meant. They kept rolling, because this is cowboy years. Yeah. Uh, the guy, he gets up and dusts himself off, so they keep it in. Finishes the scene. It, it looks amazing. Just, it it looks money. amazing. The effect, of course, is that this is an auton, an indestructible plastic man. Of course he's not going to feel any pain, so he gets straight back up. There isn't even a moment's hesitation. No. And it's a perfect killing machine. So the master intro. This is fascinating for a number of reasons. Number one, it's the first shot of the story. There's yeah. no doctor in the in the in the laboratory mm. with the TARDIS as we de- uh, generally get later on. He's very much positioned as as the star of the show or an equal co-star to Pertwee in mm. in these years. And in fact, in this season, 
spoiler alert, he's actually the, the main villain in each and every single episode <laughs> story of, of season so, eight. Yeah. So because he's yeah. that successful. And no one at the time picked up on it or thought, oh, hang on, you know, this is getting a no. bit tiresome. And he's always in, him. And he's always in incognito, and he's always got a name like Colonel oh. Masters. <laughs> or like uh, <laughs> Professor Masterson. <laughs> or, uh, Dr. Masterford. <laughs> it's almost like a joke between yeah. them. But he's also the epitome of evil, and it's something that the character sort of smooths off and becomes a lot less menacing as we get, uh, uh, you know, into the next two, three years with Delgado as the master. Yeah. Here he is an absolutely villainous... Mm. Just, uh, uh, you know, finger-steepling villain. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. It's, uh, you know, first two minutes, guys, of episode one, he gets introduced to us. And there's no background. There's nothing. We, oh, hear, that, yeah, that's true. we hear that familiar TARDIS noise. So we know he's a Time Lord. We assume it's the Doctor because that's the only time we've ever heard true. this. Bang. We get a carnival horse box appear in the middle of this circus. So immediately we're thinking, what is this? Yeah. Uh, within, I think it's like a minute, 23 seconds, the Delgado, the master, is standing in front of us saying, I am usually referred to as the master. And then within another, you know, within another minute, he's already done his signature super hypnosis yeah. of a, yeah. a weak-minded yes. individual. And yeah. he just does it by... by glaring balefully yeah. and yeah. saying I don't know if he does it in this episode but he says I am the master and you will obey me he I don't does, think he, he does it does it in this oh, one but, but he does, I'm not sure if he does it in yeah. that instance in, um, in his first scene but, but uh, yeah, yeah. he's got that great suit with the cuffs the um, Nehru collar yeah, suit really oh good. yeah it's very much the, the height of, 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 of evil it's very Bond and it is yeah. it's, I was going to say it's Donald yeah. Pleasance's yeah. Blofeld yeah. in yeah. 1967's You Only Live Twice <laughs> but also I think this is there's, 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 well there's a number of antecedents to this character one, if we've got the, the introduction of um, Pertwee's Doctor or the establishment of Pertwee's Doctor as very, very much a Sherlock Holmes figure in this episode, mm, right? Yeah. Uh, we'll get onto that later on, but he comes across as, as someone who has immense perceptive powers. Yeah. If you have the Doctor as Sherlock Holmes, you obviously need your Moriarty. Mm, and this mm. is something that Letts and Dix have, have, yeah. have said a number of times. Uh, they specifically introduced this character as the Moriarty to the Doctor's Holmes. Mm. Uh, and it's wonderful. Like you obviously have someone who's an equal or, or, or a match to the Doctor's mm. uh, uh, brilliance, except obviously for evil rather than evil good. intent. Yeah. yeah, I do believe in Terror of the Zygons. The last episode we talked briefly about uh, the Doctor's exile to Earth, which yes. we're very much in the middle of that now. Yeah, they do play up that he's a super brain. You know, he's some. Um much more intelligent than you can possibly, you know, is more than a match for any human. And then well, because of the situation, he's stuck in Earth, so he's, he's yeah. basically stuck amongst these primitives in the mid twentieth century. Yeah. So mm. he's, you know, mm. feels that he's much more intelligent for, yeah, than everyone the, around him, and yeah. maybe a little bit more restless about the whole thing because there's actually nothing that he can seem to do about it. Yeah, for those of you who are new to Who, uh, this is Pertwee's character. Uh, he, he starts off his run as the Doctor. Uh, having been uh, at a forced regeneration given to him by the Time Lords, and he's mm. uh, been exiled to Earth mm. right. as a mm. result of the previous and story. Now, the regeneration from the actor before Patrick Troughton into the actor now John Pertwee, was that the first instance we ever got a glimpse or an idea of what the Time Lords actually were? Yeah, yeah. Right, right at the end of Patrick Troughton's reign, we get introduced to these mysterious Time Lords who are almost like Greek gods. They have immense powers. Yeah, they sweep in. very remote. Uh, they're, they're very sort of distant characters, uh, and, and they seem very much godlike, definitely, mm. yeah. And they, they've, they're the ones who capture him after um, basically six first six years of the show, where, where the Doctor, as a character or as an archetype, is the, the wanderer, right? Mm. Yeah. At this point, he's captured, he's exiled to Earth, and we have a redefinition of the entire show. Yeah. So... 
it's, so it's, important. It's very much a hard reboot. And this is what Doctor Who does, right? Mm. Production teams mm. come in, yes. they change the rules, they change the actor, they change everything about the show, and that's why it can last for you know, 50, 50 plus odd years and yes. probably will continue to do so. Yeah. So that's what we have here, definitely. And what we have with Terror of the Autons is, in fact, another softer reboot of mm. the show because season seven is very sort of... Uh, uh, scientific and very sort of straight down the line, almost kind of very Ipcris file in terms of its sort of realistic sort of spy-fi yeah. um, influences. But here it's like a, re- a regeneration yet again into a much more sort of softer, family-friendly show. We've got a clear villain. We've got a clear good guy. Yeah. It's, it's Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty. And, you know, the Doctor is Holmes. Holmes has his Watson. It's, mm. it's, it's actually served by two characters. It's the Brigadier and it's also Joe Grant. And there's that supporting family, you know, Mrs... Uh, yeah, yeah whatever her name is, at 221B Baker Street is, is Benton and Yates, essentially, and the whole year family. <laughs> um, so, so I think um, in that regard, you know, we get a very clear establishing of the characters going forward for this season and beyond uh, in terms of the Pertwee years, the Doctor mm. as Holmes and, and the Master as Moriarty. I just really like the paradigm of him being exiled to Earth and having the... the no- I think he... Doesn't he initially have the knowledge of how to fix his TARDIS? Because they ground his TARDIS. Yeah. So he can't, he well, can't move he- it. And they sort of take the knowledge of how to fix it out of his brain. Yeah, yeah. And then so he spends a few seasons with... Um, sometimes with the console taken out of yep. the TARDIS. Yeah. And he's always... In, it always starts... His episodes tinkering. always starts with him tinkering in his yeah. lab trying to fix his TARDIS and get off this infernal rock. <laughs> it's so, I just love... It's really great. It's a great trope. I really like... They, they, they do it a lot in this one where he's... um trying to fix his TARDIS, uh, the dematerialization circuit. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess one of the, the things about Pertwee as a doctor as well is, you know, seeing him for the first time on screen, you know, he seems kind of gruff, irritable. Very, yeah. he's, a, he's a grumpier man. Mm. And, um, you know, not knowing the context behind that and, you know, if you come to this as just a standalone episode, this is a new doctor, this is a new person. But I love how that fits in so perfectly mm. with the story arc um, that you guys have just explained. Oh, He's, exiled, he's yeah. exiled, he's trapped. Yeah, of yeah. course you're going to be grumpy. Of yeah. course yeah. you're going to oh, not everything. be loving it. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah, that, that change to Pertwee as an actor mm. is just perfect for that. Yeah. yeah. Can we actually, even while we're on the subject, talk about that uh, the introduction of Joe Grant and just the Doctor's reaction? <laughs> oh, <laughs> very dismissive. Very horrible. So obviously he, he mistakes her for the tea oh. lady. That's the impression that we've got. She's like, well, no, I'm trying to... Not today, thank you. I said not today, thank you. <laughs> And then she ruins his experiment. Innocently trying to put out a fire with yeah. a fire extinguisher. As she anyone would. Yeah. I mean, she wasn't to know that um, steady state micro welding always creates more smoke <laughs> than fire. Uh, but she's treated as such that she should know. But uh, yeah. Uh, what does he call it? A ham fisted bun vendor. Just a, a quick aside there are a lot of really good insults in this, uh, in this story. There's uh, he, Dr. Calls a master in Japanese. There's ham fisted bun vendor, uh, unimaginative plotter, incompetent imbeciles, insulting ruffian. And I, I, did, I did count two what the blame and one what the devil none of which, <laughs> this none, is all Pertwee yeah, none of them, it usually comes from the Brigadier what the devil but yeah not this time uh, anyway yeah Joe, Joe Grant yeah so I mean he's immediately dismissive of her he's, he's very rude uh, to this poor girl who's been sent by the Brigadier down to introduce herself as the Doctor's new assistant and also to inform him of a theft. But she, I mean, she's, um, but she's so qualified and she's uh, yeah. uh, cryptology. Mm. She's Sorry. not a scientist, which is what he wants, obviously. He wants another Liz Shaw. 
before the previous campaign. Okay, except he doesn't, and this is this That's, is a bit meta. That's so great. This is Letts and Dix who have said this on on, on similar occasions as well. The, the uh, companion prior to this is is Liz Shaw, who's a professor from Cambridge and has degrees in you know multiple subjects. Mm. She's obviously far too qualified to be a peril monkey in a Doctor Who companion, mm. so they ship her off. Oh. So that mm. we go with the soft reboot again. What do we want? Letts and Dix sat down and they said, look, we really want an archetypal question mm. to ask. Someone who is basically the audience identification figure. So what I really want to sort of um, uh, argue at this point is Joe Grant is the first ever female Doctor Who companion who basically sets up the archetype for the Doctor Who female companions that we certainly have in new Doctor Who yeah. and probably for a lot of classic Doctor Who afterwards as mm. well. Mm. It's... Um, I suppose in some ways the damsel in distress, but it's also yeah. someone who has a lot of agency. Is someone who um, shows you know strong um, feminist traits as yeah. well. Yes, and and Joe's character arc over the next few years really sort of develops that mm. as well. She's yeah, she, like, and yeah, definitely in later um, stories. She's, there's lots of running and jumping. She. She uh, stops a prison riot single-handedly. That's in the next episode. Yeah, that's oh, really yeah. good. She's great. Yeah. She's good with a gun. But, I mean, look, even in this first story of hers, she um, she goes off on her own. There's that horrible scene, quite misogynistic, between mm. Mike Yates and Joe Grant, where she's feeling frustrated. His response is, easy, love. Just do what the brigadier tells you. Don't try so hard, eh? Just do what the brigadier says. Yeah, this is 1970. And, and fair credit again to Letts and Dix. We have a feminist a feminist character for the first time on, on probably um, you know popular BBC Saturday afternoon tea time television. Yeah. Uh, aimed at kids as well. Mm. Uh, you know, this isn't just uh, you know so a useless sort of companion. This is someone who does mm. show a, lo- a lot of guts and, and oomph, I think. She's and plucky, isn't she? I love mm. her response to Yates in that scene. That's my favourite Smiling, bit. smiling so. sweetly at him. Yes, of course. You're quite right. And then what does she do? Ignore the orders? <laughs> goes, goes straight to the circus, follows the doctor there. I love that smile. Yeah. You can just tell behind the eyes. She's just thinking... <laughs> you. That, that is a long screwdriver bleed. Yeah. I'm going to have to put in. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's why I gave you a beat. <laughs> <laughs> Right. All right. All right. Hang on, but I want to ask Ed, like, in terms of like how you see this character as well, because mm. obviously this is a long time ago. There are still sexist uh, tropes and and sort of developments at play with this character. Uh, how does a modern new to who are look at this? I, I think you, you've you've already sort of coloured my opinion here. I think with what you've just said, but I, I I think you're right in that if you look at some of the the new who companions. This is a template for that, um, and you yeah. can see how that shows through. And and yeah, I mean, the first time I watched uh, Terror of the Autons and and this scene that Colin was talking about, um, where she basically just gets, uh, you know, man manhandled into submission. Yes. Um, the first time I watched that, I, I sort of saw that and go, oh, that's a bit rough. But then that was without the knowledge of what happens afterwards. That's and right, then you yeah, watch it the right. second time and you see that glint in her eye yeah. and, and you just know, yeah, no, I, I was I was actually, I guess, surprised that, you know, a product of television at that time is producing kind of female characters like that. Mm. Um, it was really interesting was, to yeah, see, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a character trait that you can't go back from. So you've, you've identified a strong female character mm. uh, who's nonetheless, I suppose, second or the co-star to the Doctor. Yeah. Um, you can't go back to the screaming companion of the 60s, I right. think, who, mm. at least not as, a, as the, the only thing that they can offer to the yeah. show. 
So, the master's got the uh, the Nestine consciousness blob. Mm. Oh, yeah. Now, I want to talk about that. The doctor's outraged because the brigadier, unbeknownst to him, oh, yeah. has gone and lent out an alien intelligence, like a, a consciousness, an artifact from another planet. From with, a previous invasion. From a previous invasion <laughs> of Earth. They knew what it could do. It should be under lock and key. <laughs> they lend it to a space museum to put in a display. I'm That's, sure they have, like, school kids coming yeah. through on Tuesday mornings yeah. to have a look at this thing. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, the master steals it. Surprise. Surprise! Very easily, when, I might add. Very it? easily. And when the Doctor gets mad about it, it's one of the first th- times in this episode you see him. He's extremely rude about the Brigadier. Mm. Um, yes, which he does many times in this story, and he's also rude to him. Yeah, <laughs> very. Rude. He's rude to everyone, but he's yeah. rude to the, to the Brigadier. Pretty, he's pretty nasty to him, and the Brigadier just takes it in straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, the Brigadier is flappable. Yeah, he doesn't get angry. Brigadier doesn't get angry in, in this story at all. Which is there's a bit later in the um in the story, maybe in the fourth episode, where they have a little smile together. So you know that they're uh, yeah. They, you know they're still buddies mm. yeah <laughs> but the doctor yeah the doctor in this story he's a uh, he is but do you know who else he reminds me of is uh, the Moffat reincarnation of Sherlock so here we have mm. a really high functioning sociopath someone who is off the scales intelligent yeah, amongst all these you know tiny brain primitives who um, really can't match his intellect um, and you know we, we, we again just to go back to, to Holmes Holmes's influences on, on the doctor you know, this is this is the doctor as as a scientist. You know, someone who's seen very often in a lab has got great powers of induction, not mm. deduction. It has to be mentioned. Um, you know, for example, there's that bit in in part three where they get into the plastics factory office, and he notice he says, "Oh, they've left today." And the brigadier says, "Well, how do you know that?" Well, desk calendar. You know, these are very sort of yeah. very very Sherlock kind of um, observations, and he's able to sort of yeah, yeah. he's able to sort of like you know apply that scientific method to the situation mm. here. You know, there's there's examples of I suppose the autopsy, if you want to call it, of mm. the the plastic doll, the scalpel. Sort of, the scalpel. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It. It's made of plastic. Yeah. <laughs> no sh- <laughs> You do that so well, Cole. Uh, and also, you know, the experimentations with the daffodils and the ultra high frequency. Mm, yeah, Oh, I love it. I was just waiting <laughs> yeah. for that. Plus, I'm sure because I was sure I remembered someone yeah. being suffocated by plastic film. Yeah. And the master says earlier, "Why waste all this uh, plastic that, when you yeah, can use a few inches?" Yes. And I was like, "That's definitely mm. the plastic." It's Chekhov's plastic. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And it squirts over a face. It's really. It's still scary. Yeah, I was. I was genuinely shocked at that when oh, when I saw that awesome. the the actual you know because they have the autopsies beforehand they go oh these people died and we don't really know why and mm-hmm. what happened and then you actually see the action shot of these people getting you know masked by this mm, thing yeah, and that, that's very confronting yeah. and and then the then the real aha moment comes yeah. when it starts to dissolve away. Oh, yeah. 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 That, I wanted to talk about that yes. I want to talk about that awesome shot they did I mean like we've said earlier with, <laughs> yeah, this, really? with a lot of the CSO some shots may be a little questionable <laughs> but one I don't think anyone can argue with is is the uh, the shot of the plastic film dissolving in the doctor's hand when yeah. it comes into contact with carbon dioxide yeah. which is such a great idea it's yeah. not going to be on the body it's not going to be there. this is classic Holmes, right? Yes. This is this is mm. the sort of the plot is is pretty neat in the way that it that it has these things um, tied up throughout. I think. Yeah. Mm. Can I ask you guys a question about the nature of Unit as a, an organization, <laughs> Ooh, and one. why why is it that the Doctor is sort of 
okay. tied in with them. So UNIT stands for United Nations Intelligence Task Force. Yes. Yeah, no? Supposedly multinational task force meant to deal with uh, um, alien threats and but everyone in that British, of course. Yeah. Mm. It, well, this is the British branch. So what you mm, often yeah. get is the is the brigadier flying off to Geneva to yeah. help these. Geneva. 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 <laughs> also, obviously, the, the brigadier and the doctor are known from the Trout era. Yes, as well, of course, so. Web of Fear. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, the invasion. Yeah. Mm. Mm, I love the and he's their scientific advisor. Yeah, I mean, it's just an interesting relationship that they have because you sort of think, well, yeah, the doctor's really the only thing he's getting out of it is sort of uh, fairly funding. mundane, fun, like mundane yeah. resources, lab, like, like lab, lab space, equipment, yeah. space, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In order just, to, I, I guess fix his TARDIS. That's it. Whenever they call him in, he's he's always bothered. Even like the last episode, Zygons, yeah. they called him called him back. Mm. To uh, to Earth to deal with uh, we yeah. know what's a darkness and monster and, yeah and that's and that's just an, the parallel that I'm drawing there is very interesting because if you look at New Who the Doctor's very much in lockstep with these organisations mm. and he's a, almost like a special contractor to them he knows what yep. they're about he is very familiar with the internal workings of it mm. and they work together regularly whereas in this story it's kind of I guess the beginning of all of that that yeah, comes yeah. after it's new territory he's, he's also sure. a legend to them so mm. you know characters like Osgood he's someone who's a, a revered myth yes um, and this it's because of the work I suppose that is essentially done in the 70s sure. as the Pertwee Doctor and intimate throughout this is the uh, you know the re- the returning and and uh, you know going uh, you know man on the on the white horse who rides mm. in solves the day and then and, and rides back out again mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's quite a powerful myth I suppose yeah it's great he, the ghost who walks almost he, yeah uh, you know he, he's got many faces many forms you know it's great yeah I love that. I love that about Osgood as well in New, New Who. Uh, she, she, you know, she, she totes the Tom Baker scarf. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Mm. So lovely little touches like that. Yeah, that's true. And the, and the McCoy pullover? The yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lovely little touches that uh, people like Moffat uh, will put into the show. I think so. And it's meant to really sort of bridge that gap between the 1970s mm. unit era and the modern and era. And I'm so thankful for it. I yeah. really am. Yeah, I, I think it's nice. I mean, we see it, I think, as early as the Christmas invasion with Tennant's first one, right? Where yeah. it's uh, it's a very different unit. We don't have Kate Lethbridge Stewart, who's the Brigadier's daughter, heading mm. it up. But nonetheless, it's seated very early on to say, hey, this is a really important part of the show's past. And it's one that has a real strong. Um, I suppose you know narrative element to it as well. Like it, it, it serves as a really nice way to get the Doctor back on Earth every now and then, and to give him the means to do what he needs to do to defeat the alien intelligences. Yeah. Mm. I just want to go back to the Master because I've I've mentioned him as being um, very much Moriarty to to the um, the Pertwee Doctor's homes, but I think there's another element to it as well. Uh, and and it's, it is, I suppose, a contentious one. We have the casting of Delgado, who, don't get me wrong, is mm. actually perfect as the master. Yes. Right? And he's mm. perfect because, you know, there's that voice, there's that very sort of uh, collected, calm mannerism, mm. that little too perfect diction. Mm. But it also mm. comes across, obviously, as clearly a case of the archetypal foreigner, right? So it's the, oh, the yeah. sallow skin. The Nehru it's suit. The Nehru suit, mm. obviously, which is uh, an Indian sort of uh, mm. or an Eastern Oriental kind of uh, um, garb. Mm. It's, he's not just Moriarty. He's actually also, in, in addition to, I suppose, being sort of like a, a Satan figure, I think he really draws uh, on a lot of um, influences from um, the Dr. Fu Manchu uh, archetype. Yeah. Oh, wow. Which is mm. right down to the gloves, actually. Wow. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. It's so weird. Now and you say it, I can see it. it <laughs> I just want to, um, a short quote from a book called The Insidious Dr. Fu Manchu by Sax Roma. And 
whilst I'm saying this, I just want you to picture in your mind who you see. Imagine a person, tall, lean and feline, high-shouldered with a brow like Shakespeare and a face like Satan, one giant intellect with all the resources of science, past and present. Imagine that awful being and you have a mental picture of... Yeah. It's the master. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I, th- I think there's, there's a problematic element to that as well because obviously uh, there's a sort of racist aspect to the casting of Delgado and the creation of the character. Mm-hmm. But I, for all of that, I, wonder, I want to excuse it because he's just so incredible as the Doctor's opposite and equal. Mm. If it wasn't Delgado, then, then who, would, who would be able to fill that, that yeah. role to that level of precision and yes. create that specific character? I think, <laughs> I think it's almost uh, kind of a requirement. I mean, to have someone as alien as the Doctor, and then you need, in essence, someone that's even alien to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in order to sort of get that across on the screen... I I think there would have been precious few. And you know what? It actually is a really difficult gig because what Mm. you're talking about is not just the uh, opposite of the Doctor as a character, but the opposite of the actor playing him as well. So Delgado Mm. and Poe, you mentioned, Cole, that they were Mm. great friends and, you know, uh, obviously um, had a long history together. Mm. That comes across. That's the chemistry on screen, right? Yeah. And when you don't have that... Like, for instance, later on, perhaps with Peter Davison and uh, Anthony Ainley in The, the King's Demon, we oh saw it. <laughs> Which is oh, one of the less said about that, the better. We should never have shown it. No, we, yeah. we, no, almost, no. we almost lost him, uh, Sweet Dogs. <laughs> we on. almost lost him. But th- that isn't the case. But it is the case with Tennant and Sim. Mm. Okay, he, They're sort of mirror sure. inverted images of one another. They're tall, uh, skinny, well-dressed. Uh, live wire characters, and, but also the mad Scots in terms of Capaldi and and, and Michelle Gomez. Yeah, yeah like, they are so binary true. opposites of one another in terms of the actors, and that mm. comes across in terms yeah. of the way in which the characters are portrayed as well. Mm. So I think maybe you're right there. There is no one else who could play this role in 1970 no. opposite um, Pertwee. To that mm. level of precision, yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. you would really struggle. Mm. Yeah. But they've always got something in common. Like uh, you said, the Capaldi and Missy are both Scots. And uh, Pertwee and Delgado, uh, well, the doctor, their doctor and master are very upper class. Like oh, very, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very upper class, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. There is a, there's a well, little bit of classy stuff in... in, um, in Autons. Uh, yeah, in Autons. Mm. There's a bit where um, uh-huh. they send a man... From the ministry, well, brown nose or brown rose? Yeah, brown yeah. rose. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, not unintentional. Who's in charge of you pen pushers these days? Old Tubby Rowlands, isn't it? Lord Rowlands is head of our department. Yes. Yes, I was saying to him in the club only the other day. Wrong sort of chap is creeping into your lot, Tubby. I said. Oh, well, of course I didn't mean to imply anything offensive. No. Rollins. And immediately the guy sees that uh, um, the doctor's one of his betters. Uh, as they would say, as, was, as they would say. Well, and I he, didn't mean to imply. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, there's a little, and moments after that, I really, this really stuck with me. Moments after that, the master's disguised as a telephone repairman, a working class yes, sort of dude. Yeah. He's like, um, and, and Yates, Yates walks in and says, "Where's your pass? Got your pass? Nah, me not again. I've been checked more times." Pass. Oh my god! And you really see the contempt in his face. Yeah, he checks it and he's like, "All right, all good." Yeah, that's it. Oh, fine. Little did he know that it yeah. was uh, actually. Yes, yeah, a good one, Yates. You yeah. dickhead. <laughs> do, do you think um, that's something that the doctor actually means? Like, do you reckon this Pertwee doctor does hang out in gentlemen's clubs on the Strand? 
I, I think he's very good at alluding to a lot of things, yeah. and I don't know that he necessarily would lower himself. I think himself. he does, guys. I think he's a toff. <laughs> well, here's my point, right? Okay. There's two, uh, two answers to this question. <laughs> the Doctor, no. The Doctor is someone who... You can imagine Troughton or, or Tom Baker delivering this, this line, right? Mm. It would be clearly someone who is lying through his teeth, mm. but he's mm. manipulating the situation, yes. right? Mm. I think that's the Doctor. Pertwee, and the way mm. that he plays it, though, is convinced that this is a, a man who does frequent the uh, the inner circles of power of Whitehall. I'm sure of it. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I hate it, and I like it. Me too. Yeah. 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 I hate them. I hate them, but I love them. <laughs> Should we talk about some of the uses of the CSO? Oh, okay, yeah, let's we, get yeah. to this. Yeah, We've yeah, been yeah. skirting around this. Right at the start, there's the, um, the bowler hat guy, the intro. Oh. Now that we've touched on that, I do want to talk about that. So that is like another Time Lord we get yep. in Autons. This guy sent from the ministry he is yeah, yeah the ministry of exposition yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we hear the noise again we hear the tardis noise yeah we just a bloke <laughs> just well, a bloke in a bowler hat he's a, well he's another upper crust bloke isn't he he's oh, very very much, very, yeah. I, would, I would wager he's even further upper crust yeah. than the doctor and the master the here. bowler hat the three-piece suit That's and the right. umbrella now, though, where they really are keen to try these new new tools they've got they they, they <laughs> use it shamelessly in this scene with this guy appearing he's like oh there it's you not, are let me come a little bit closer <laughs> and he's on a shame it's not the worst example yeah. right? no, no, and no. to be fair like this is probably seen if not on black and white televisions and first generation colour televisions back mm. in 1970 Britain mm. right on tiny tiny screens mm. there's no way you would have picked it up on, mm. on that medium at all no right? <laughs> so this, they probably were okay to sort of get away with that so you're saying yeah. the quality of the TV back then would have been such that you wouldn't have it wouldn't have been glaring absolutely yeah. And yeah. If, but don't forget guys like when you watch horror films from the 1950s you know they look so clumsy and fake but back in the 50s mm. the audience was scared the audience believed what they were watching I think a lot of it to some extent has to go with Doctor Who it was a product of its time of course yeah. for many reasons uh, some things that uh, look shaky now didn't necessarily always look shaky back then mm. but what what I do love about this experimentation with the CSO is the mm. fact that so many of the scenes are just so obviously engineered just, just for the for the opportunity to use the yeah, CSO. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're talking about, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Bowler Hat Time Lord, um, oh, the yeah. kitchen the scene. Kitchen. Mrs. Farrell's kitchen. Yeah. Like, why not? Why not just have, have a in the lounge room? Because like, yeah. they're yeah. working with 50p, right? And there's yeah. no yeah. way you're going to have a standing set of the kitchen. Yeah. They, Mind you, three seconds. But she didn't have to be in the kitchen. No, no that's Joe Joe Grant's in a phone box. It's a, just a normal close up <laughs> shot of her talking on the phone in a normal street, and they use CSO <laughs> for the surrounding of the phone box behind her. And the other one where she's hiding behind the the car yeah, in the yeah, circus yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's other ones I mean when the master uh, when the master takes the nesting consciousness the space centre around him is CSO oh, yeah. well, the, it looks quite confusing because it's missiles and stuff yeah, I was yeah. just like why on earth did they <laughs> yeah. put him in oh right when yeah. the master's working on his Auton uh, protégés mm. uh, like laying down on, on the, the, uh, on the yeah. tables the lab behind him is CSO but it also looks immense right it they, does. Could, have, yeah. they it does. could have shot it and it would have looked like a cupboard that's yeah. true or they could have actually used the green screen and made it look like the, that's the master Master has, you know, the doctor's got unit and labs, and whatever mm. else at his at his disposal. The master's he's also got his own laboratory, you know, yeah, and yeah. it's a huge, impressive plastics factory on the outskirts of London. Yeah. So that was that was a poor 
technical implementation of it, but that was an excellent, um, I guess, contextual implementation. <laughs> it had a purpose. Yeah. It did. And you know what? Even though it fails, it's worth remembering this thing, right? And that is CSO is the CGI of its day. Mm. It's Doctor Who and the top of the pops mm. at this point in time in yeah. history that are experimenting with these sort of visual Far techniques. Far out concepts. Exactly yeah. right. I think. And without this sort of experimentation going back, you know, 40 mm. or 50 years, we Definitely. don't get to CGI. We, we don't get there at the rate that we have, I suppose. That is an excellent point. There, there are a couple of good CSOs, and I think the best one, the only one that really holds up, and it's a really good Ooh, yes. intro to something about the master. It's a really good intro to something that the master does quite commonly from now on. Use yeah. his uh, his signature, I suppose, signature weapon, the TCE tissue compression eliminator. Yes. His dolly ray. Is, yeah, it's a shrink ray, basically. His dolly ray. Yeah. All right. Okay. His dolly. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then you so you, you shoots um, the boffin at the start. The guy who's a yeah. classic Ouch. classic boffin. Yeah. Egghead. Egg egg wow. Oh, great. <laughs> Great guy. Egghead, egg eating. He shoots him when he's in the middle of his soft boiled egg. I was like, yeah, that's not on. man finish oh, his no. meal. Yeah, can, can I just say, also, him. his last meal, he was just telling Elspeth, his wife, <laughs> the evening before that they were so They're aesthetically boring. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Can I have a hard boiled egg, though, sir? Quite apart from their effect on my digestion, they're aesthetically boring. So he shrinks him, and then the doctor finds him in a lunchbox later, and it's a CSO it man is, yeah. slumped along. And later, later, uh, later shows, especially in the Baker era, they use um, dolls instead. And I think mm. I don't know because no. I found the dolls super creepy when I was a kid. Um, I find the whole weapon deeply creepy and also really horrible. Like it's really mm. horrible, especially in Logopolis when they use it in Logopolis. It scared the crap out of me. Yeah, and it's also when you realise, even as a child, you realise that a tissue eliminator. Essentially, it's not just shrinking someone, it's killing them too. Mm. It's not like they're a little person that's running around yeah. with a squeaky voice. Yeah, it squeezes their organs and yeah, their blood cells yeah, and all yeah. the rest of it into this tiny little... And it looks good. I thought, I thought the guy looked... It was creepy and scary. Ed, you tell us, does it look good? Uh, it's the best use. <laughs> yeah. It's a great idea. And, well, and, and uh, certainly in that story... And but I think it could be argues. argued it's one of those fantastic shots of folklore yeah, in Doctor Who history. Yep. It stands up a, around mm. some maybe more questionable... Not only shows. has he been murdered and shrunk, but just so evil, the master is like, Duff put him in a lunchbox. Lunch oh, yeah. how ironic. I just got to point out, that was a really... English sort of lunch to have in a lunchbox. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was hard-boiled eggs. There's a thermos of thermos, tea. Yeah. There was a whole tomato. Is he just biting into a tomato after <laughs> like he has apple? it? Is that in between his hard-boiled eggs? And there were some biscuits. Oh, well, I guess that's that, with the, that would have it with the tea. <laughs> yeah. It was all wrapped in wax paper oh, inside yeah. his tin lunchbox. So oh, gooch. Yeah. I, and I think that, again, it comes back to this whole sort of spy-fi, Bond villain-esque nature of the, the master yes. when, mm. when yeah, he, instead of, you know, he could just mind-control this guy and tell him to jump off yeah. the antenna. Yeah. Mm. But instead, he's like, nah, got something special that's for a, you. Yeah, that's great. Shrink ray. You know, it's completely unnecessary. Also leaves a trail <laughs> that yeah, the yeah. doctor then finds yeah. and uses. But you know what? But, the whole point was for someone to find it and be horrified. Yeah. And I love, I, I just, also love the, the weapon it's really stupid it, 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 um, the way he holds it and it's like a syringe but I like when he's yeah. pointing it at someone it kind of <laughs> like just looks like he's holding a big cigar yeah. <laughs> <laughs> again he's a tough like, yeah. Yeah. that happens actually in um Episode four, when they have the, their showdown, it's it's face it's face to face for the first time. Yeah. Oh, by the way, their first interaction mm. over the phone. Yeah, yes. Very weird. Tenants and Sims. 
First interaction? Oh, it was over, uh, over the phone. Nice little parallel. Did, uh, did Sims Master try and kill the Doctor with a killer phone cord? <laughs> yeah. And did he also try and turn the Doctor into Cat Weasel in the same scene? <laughs> a lot like Cat Weasel when oh, he's being strangled by the phone cord. Oh, he really hammed it up when he was being strangled. His facial expressions. Yeah. Yeah. The Master violates the sanctity and the sort of homeliness of Unit mm. HQ and appears undetected Absolutely. for all of the security mm. in the Doctor's mm. laboratory, so threatening whole, him with the syringe, the TCEs. The whole farce earlier of being that disguised as a telephone repairman. Yeah. Oh, Unnecessary. He just did it. He yeah. just did it. Using a master mask, which I love as master mask. This is Sax Roma's Fu Manchu, who is also mm. a master of disguise. disguise. Mm. The master, the master of disguise. And the Moriarty is also a master Moriarty. of disguise. Moriarty, yes, true, exactly. Mm. I forgot about that, yeah. But obviously, you know, these two come face-to-face for the first time. It's an incredibly civil, yeah. highly yeah. sort of mannered exchange yeah. between yeah. the two of them. Mm. Very measured. Very yeah. measured, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's Joe who comes bundling in oh. and disturbs the, uh, yeah. the, the the tete-a-tete. Maybe she's a ham-fisted bun vendor. <laughs> so I like this because everyone's unfazed. No one's ruffled. Yep. The master's holding a, a dolly ray. <laughs> uh, but the doctor doesn't take any notice of that. Then he's got his upper hand. He's got the DC circuit. What, where do you go from there? You escalate this and it's the doctor upping the master, upping mm, the doctor, mm, upping mm, the master. Mm. And then eventually it needs to break in some way. The only way that you can do that is to throw the uh, the spanner into the work, the ace into the... Or the jack into the, the yeah. mic, which is, yeah. which is I love Joe. How, I love yeah. how he yeah. uh, initiated into the master's TARDIS during that long circus bit. And... Um, <laughs> just nicks his D-Man circuit. I love, and it goes back to that thing of being exiled and trying to get it. He's always thinking, even in the middle of like peril and danger, he's still thinking about how to get off the planet. Well, he gets and into he, the TARDIS, doesn't he? And mm. he doesn't he doesn't nick it to stop the master getting away, which is what, you know, that's the consolation prize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. But he does it to get his the D-Man circuit so he can get out, get off the planet. Just a he's, quick trip. He's, he's still thinking, mm. even though he's mates with all these with the unit and yeah. everyone and everything's mm. great, he's still thinking about how to get off the planet and get Absolutely, away. Yeah. Not, not too desperate, though, because he could have just taken the master's titles if he was really that desperate. I wouldn't think that's a good point. Yeah. I don't but know. It, but it, would the doctor take the Master's TARDIS? No. I don't think he would. Well, you know, guys, if he wouldn't exhaust- because in later later stories and later Doctors, you see the inside of the Master's TARDIS and it is an evil TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's black. It's black where the yeah, Doctor's is white. It's, so it's, gre- it's black and green and it's creepy. <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably smoke on the floor. <laughs> like, yeah, a, you, can't, you can't just roll around in an evil TARDIS. Yeah. Every time you got a new companion, they'd be like, oh, oh wait, your, you're evil? This uh, is your TARDIS? They'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's that uh, wonderful... uh, I guess I'm going to call it a cool death, even though death isn't cool. Um, Becoming a chair's lunch... McDermott. Oh my god. McDermott oh, yeah. being swallowed by How the nesting chair. How cool is that? So this guy is a plastics man. Like he knows his plastics. <laughs> oh he's a plastics man through and He through. does not like Born Colonel Masters and he does not like Colonel Masters plastic. No no. It's uh, it's got a cold and clammy touch to it. Now plastic should be dry and warm to the touch. It's got a cool clammy feel to it. Now, plastic should be warm and dry. Sit down. And then you get swallowed by the chair. I don't know. Uh, are like inflatable plastic yeah, chairs quite yeah. new at this Infla- point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inflates on its own. He, like he, yeah. like he's he rubs his lips a lot, McDermott. He's like he rubs his lips and he's like he's obviously impressed with the idea of this inflatable. And he wants plastic. to make a profit. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's like but you he, know, he, but you can tell he just doesn't trust this guy no, yeah, no, no, at all. No. <laughs> he knows that this guy shouldn't be dealing in plastic. And why is this so effective? Mm. Right? Okay. Where are kids watching it? They're watching yeah. it at home. Yeah. On it, the couch. On a settee. Right. Absolutely. And it's this settee, which probably may have been plastic because hey, it's 
1970s yes. and polyester and yeah, plastic yeah. is like the um, most affordable yeah. and most common um, it probably, substance It probably wouldn't be, uh, you know, jet black plastic. It would no, be like no. some hor- orange or orange, like... <laughs> lurid lime green. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is one of the things I love about the... On top the... of a blue shag. <laughs> <laughs> does he <laughs> not get... Does uh, McDermott not get hypnotised by the master? No, he McDermott does. He gets him to... That's how he gets him to sit in the yeah, chair in the yeah, first Yeah, that's place, right. right. He goes but that's, sit. But yeah. they do introduce this, this idea, which I've, I, don't, I don't know mm. if they do it again, uh, where the, the master can't hypnotise everyone, because he's a great hypnotiser, that's right. He can only do it to people who are mm. slightly less strong-willed. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. And senior. I really love how the dad, the, yeah, the senior sterile senior, just, yeah. he just like he, wipes he it off, comes out of retirement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, what the bloody <laughs> hell's going on I here? Also love he's that seen he's... two world wars, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also love that his son's name is Rex. So yeah. it's like, Rex, I'll come out of retirement if I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. But oh, it, yeah, those two. Let's talk about them later. But yeah, yeah, go on with this Yeah, I don't know if if that really comes back in the show. No, it does. And I'll tell you where it does. It's Joe Grant, and it's mm. in one of her last episodes, and I think it's the last episode with the with the master, and she says something like, "Oh, that doesn't work on me anymore." It's just, oh. it's a oh, wow, yeah, it's 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 Joe's little moment, or one of her little moments in terms of because he hypnotizes her and makes her he does. almost yeah. set a bum yeah. off, which yeah. I really like. Yeah, that's oh, great. That's lovely um, too. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the things I love about Let's. He does so well, and he, I think he he's one of the people who brought it into Doctor Who and made it such a, a common thing is that he made it scary for kids yeah. by making the the common and the ordinary. Scary, mm. like you've got yes. policemen uh, ripping yeah. a face, policeman's mm. face off, and it's a robot mm. underneath. Yeah. You've got um, plastic in general because the plastic's everywhere in the mm. late sixties mm. and the seventies. Yeah. Um, uh, toys. So there's that horrible devil yeah. toy that kills oh, the poo goblin. <laughs> yeah. That's there's no other word for it. But it's a you know it's a child's toy. So he's the, 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 you know you're watching as a kid. You're looking at policemen when you walk down the street. You're looking at dummies in shop windows like spearhead from space. Yes. Plastic daffodils. Yeah. Plastic flowers. Like seemingly innocent things. Who is the modern day master of this? But Steve. Moffat, mm. whether it's shadows or statues, oh, yeah. definitely These monsters under the bed, absolutely. holding your breath. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, the thing blinking. about the Autons is, uh, there's nothing sinister about the two policemen who come and take Joe and the, the Doctor mm. out of uh, the Tarminster Circus, right? It's that moment when you realise that they're not actually policemen; that they are actually Autons. So what what Freud talks about is the uncanny, which is stuff that is similar to, but not quite alike to ourselves. Mm. And this is what the Autons are. They're plastic men. They shouldn't exist. These, these are horrific, terrifying things that we, we are automatically repulsed by. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think it's so effective. You know, you've, you get the reveal that, you know, policemen who should be safe, approachable figures are yeah. actually not. Yeah. And mm. this is kind of like the Zygons last time where, you know, you two might be. Yeah. Or you three yeah. might Mum be Mum and Zygons, Dad might be might Zygons. Be, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, what they revert to is this shape that automatically and um, repulses us, which is something that is too similar to what we're like, but also mm. different enough to, to be horrific. I think that the Autons mm. in those kind of the... Over the top um, oh, mascot the flower men. Yeah, the flower oh, men. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were, they were, that was. They were uh, creepy. Man, that really was creepy. Really creepy, yeah. yeah. And, and then they're all together on the bus as yeah, well, yeah, and they're just yeah. kind of That's milling around, not uncanny. doing anything. Yeah. Imagine anything. you get onto your bus and, you know, to work in the morning and you're confronted by that. That's, <laughs> a, that's an everyday situation yeah. made yeah. horrific <laughs> by one very, very slight difference in the detail. Yeah. That's how yeah. it works. And then you see at the end of episode four, the master suddenly has this complete about face. Oh, man. <laughs> you know what? Let's yeah. talk about that. That's really funny. This is the one time that Robert Holmes lets me down in oh. the plotting, right? Mm. Um, 
Terence Dix in the novelization corrects this by having um, two aspects. One, uh, the, the the relationship between the Autons or the Nestine and, and the Master gets a little bit frayed, and that's called out. But also, and this is so simple, I don't know why they didn't think of it at the time. The Brigadier draws a gun on the Master and says, "Basically, you are going to do this, or I'm going to shoot you." And yeah. like, of course, they should have done that. Yes, that's <laughs> that right. Yeah. Him, yeah, rather yeah. than this. Oh, you know. Oh, oh actually, oh, <laughs> I do think this through. Yeah. Well, uh, we better work together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They often end up working together in the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm just so I, surprised I, that it happened in the first yeah. story of you, the master. You need right. to do it, right? And the right. reason for that is we went okay. Going back to that scene in, in the unit laboratory where they're one-upping one another, there's no resolution to that, right? There's just an escalation and there's mm. no payoff. The payoff has to come through either the master being totally defeated, which we can't have right at this point, mm. or some sort of collaboration where there's a, a redemptive reading of the master as a character, yeah. right? Mm. So that point about them working together, it's it's a sort of nice little payoff to the audience who who really are picking up on the fact that this is an ensemble cast now. Mm. This is a cast of equals, but it's also a bit of a family. We talk about the unit family to we this do. day. Mm. The master's part of that. Yeah. And even though he's evil, yeah. we love him. Like, yeah, we yeah. do. Yeah, of yeah. And you get excited when he's in it. You, you want to see him know. on the show. Yeah, 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 yeah he, It's right. not that he kind of scuttles off going, no, I'll get you next time. <laughs> it's, it, 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 it actually resolves. I would love to actually talk about that last line between Joe Grant and the Doctor in episode 4 where we would just get that I oh. think she says something like you don't seem worried that the Master's still out there that he's bound to come back and he says no Joe and as a matter of fact I'm really quite looking forward to <laughs> I have problems with yeah, this me too. people Why? have died no, I, was just, I wrote this down I wrote this down now, I counted the number of the deaths because action by Havoc is always, always comes in and lots of people die insanely at point blank range um, eight unit soldiers died. Oh my god! Uh, the first one who gets shot, uh, like you said before, in the quarry the, episode the, two. In the quarry. Yep. Um, you said Cole in previous things that they sort of shrug off death very quickly. Yeah. They drive away from the quarry at speed just to, to, to escape. They leave the so they leave the body behind. Yeah. yeah. So not only is the brigadier going to make a call to the family, he's going to say, "We also left your son's corpse in a yeah. quarry." So he's got old Valhalla Road crematorium on the on speed dial. <laughs> and then, and eight, eight, yes, of course, Mrs. Wobblebottom. We have your son's body, and we'll have it immediately. And eight soldiers. Eight soldiers die. Some of them brutally. Yeah. yeah. And then at the end when he said that line I was like that's, I mean yeah but also eight people die I hate that and yeah. that's Rex Rex dies as well Rex yeah. Farrell yeah. that's who, the best that's <sighs> such a good bit at the end of the isn't it though so mm. you know the, the, doc, uh, the Doctor and Master are collaborating the Master nicks off and oh there he goes and they think they've got him, yeah. but of course it's not. And Pertwee knows the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean knows. the Doctor is. Yeah. He knows. Um, but it's so yeah because Farrell's like the last few episodes he's really wringing his hands because he wants mm. to be loyal to the Master, but he can see he's fighting it. And he says, mm. "I've got to have to do it. I've got to do it." Yeah. The Autons want to leave, but he's like, "We've got to wait for the Master." That's right. The master. Mm. And so he's increasingly, increasingly like Anxious, pain. Yeah. And at the end, he, you know, you want him to get. I guess you want him to get away because he's not evil. Yeah. And then that great bit where they pull off the Master mask and mm. it's re- um, it's Rex underneath. The mask. It's sad. Mm. Mm. There's it's, a few times in the show where there's a character who you feel sorry for who gets either sacrifices himself or gets killed horribly. And like the guy in Mind of Evil, the um, the man who they suck the evil out of, the oh, prisoner. Barnum. Yeah, and he oh, at the end, and you feel God. bad for him when he dies at the end because yeah. you're with him. You know, you root for yeah, him. Yeah. You know, I don't think you're really rooting for Rex Farrell, but. You don't want him to die. No, but, no. But, it's, but he's also... But you know, now that his parents have gone... Or, his, sorry, his father's gone, you, you almost do, don't want it all to be for nothing. You kind of Who's like, going to run the plastics factory? Well, yeah, Mrs. Not, Mrs. not Well... Oh, I like that. <laughs> In 1907, that's a sitcom waiting to happen. <laughs> and while we're talking about Rex Farrell, uh, uh, he was... Well, I didn't realise until I was watching it, I was looking at the cast list. Rex Farrell, played by Michael Wisher. Okay. So Hang for on. Those of us who don't know... 
Well, he's Davros. He is. Davros, who we'll see later on, I suppose, but I think we're all familiar with him from New Journeys Who. and Stolen yeah. Earth. Yeah. 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 And the, the creator of well, the Daleks. Yeah, essentially the creator, the father of the Daleks. There's, okay. there's, lots, of, there's lots of actors who play Davros um, up and down mm-hmm. the show, but I think you can, you can only say that you can say that Michael Wish's portrayal in Genesis of the Daleks is easily, easily by mm. far the best Davros. Mm. He's so, he's, his great mm. monologues, mm. he's so creepy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like Julian Bleach is wonderful as the new. Davros and I think he's a great sure, uh, sure. I suppose update of that mm. but the definitive Davros is Michael Wish and he's great in this like he's yeah like you said all the, all the hand wringing and you mm. really I've, I've really felt for him like I don't remember mm. thinking caring about Rex Farrell at all the other times I've watched it but this time I really but you know this is again Holmes but he, Holmes is such he's clever he's perceptive he's also somewhat cynical right mm. so he's seeded this relationship yeah. of all this characterization. Rex Farrell is weak willed he's obedient to his father mm. right his mm. father goes yeah. he retires mm. the masterful you know you're under a new oh, thumb now yeah. he says yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. one of the quotes of the story <laughs> it isn't really it? is and mm. there's that sort of you know master slave uh, relationship that's set up between the two and of course it's going to end horribly and of course mm. at the same time it heightens the villainy of the master because just when you think he's okay you know mm. collaborating with the doctor he goes off and does something so horrific to someone as poor as, as Farrell mm. also the other thing that he does is do you notice in part 4 where he's scurrying up the, the radio telescope mm. yes. the tower oh, there I wonder yeah. there's a white coated lab yeah, on yeah, the yeah, way yeah, down yeah. And, and he, chops and he him, just chops him and throws him off and he really there is a look on the on the Delgado's face it's positively satanic it's vicious right? there's that sort of <gasps> interesting furrowed brow is it, the guy really screams on the way down. It's yeah. really scary. Well, he got I don't know we'd have that oh. in this day and age. And when he lands, it's like a really thud. thump. Yeah, and yeah. I was a little bit like, oh, jeez. This is 5.15 mm. on BBC mm. Saturday yeah, afternoons? Man. What? Yeah. yeah. You have a few kiddies crying at stuff like that. <laughs> also, just mm. push past him. Like He's not going to stop you. Yeah. Don't have to kill the guy, but he's evil. Whilst maybe it's it's in a little bit of poor taste that the doctor would be looking forward to facing the master again. <laughs> I also kind of did think it was indicative of Pertwee looking forward to acting against Delgado again as well. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, definitely. I thought that was actually kind of a lovely moment. You guys kind of pointed out a really valid thing about that. <laughs> uh, Maybe he does care, but, you know, he's, he's an alien. He's a doctor. Maybe he doesn't care. Yeah, yeah, we, we did see that with Baker it's last up to the, week, didn't we? Yeah, it's mm. up to the Brigadier to, to mop up and... Uh, the, yeah. To go to the funeral with Yates and Benton and mm, put on yeah. the put on the the whites the twenty one gun salute eight funerals mm. just all those yeah so many funerals that's, uh, that's action by havoc man yeah. people always die. You know what, though? Um, that's actually something I really noticed in this. Again, this is shot 1970. It goes out in January 1971. Uh, the pace of di- the direction is really quick. Mm. So I think we said earlier, like in the first 90 seconds or so, the master lands, hypnotizes Rossini, and they go and nick, with an Audon, the um, the sphere oh, yeah. containing the nesting. Bang, you're done, right? Yeah, and straight, so quick. There's these instances throughout where we we see actions that we don't understand quite yet and we catch up as viewers yes. later on. That's a very modern technique, I thought, mm. um, where basically we're presented with something and it's giving us enough credit in our own intelligence to piece it together in time with mm. you know the rest of the story that, that unfolds. And I think also the other thing that they do really well, particularly through the cue of music, and Dudley Simpson's on fire here with that sort of very synthetic glam rock-inspired kind of... Um, you know, you know, we've got the Masters theme, for instance. It's very yeah. synthetic. <laughs> we'll get a cutaway shot and then a little bit of, of music, and we don't know what we're seeing. It's something pretty innocuous. It could be a daffodil, mm. but we know that there's something wrong with yes. this. Mm. It's the shot and the music that makes it seem so. Yeah. yeah. 
And I think that's, a, again, another very modern technique that lets users uh, in terms of his direction. I wanted to talk about that quote, and and this is one thing that I've noticed about um, classic Who is that you know in I think in every story I've watched so far, and I've, I've probably watched about a, a dozen now, is that there's there's almost always just a very poignant quote to modern society, and I think. Mm. Um, I can't remember the one that I noticed last time was something around like environmental sustainability. Oh, but the terror the, of the Zygons. That's I mean? right. Yeah. 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 But this time, um, it's when the doctor's talking. Is, is it to the brigadier or, or to Yates? No, it would about, have been to the brigadier about about the... Um, the weapons you yes. have on Earth yeah, yeah, are yeah, quite yeah, nasty. Yeah, yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah. This uh, this device of his is it very powerful? Well, I should say roughly equal to a fifteen megaton bomb. Really? Well, the research boys would be glad to get their hands on this. Too late, Brigadier, I've boiled out the contents. The weapons that you have on Earth are quite nasty enough as it is. Yes. <laughs> it's a great line, and again, it, it, you're so right, it does hark back to what we were talking about last time with, with Zygons. And there's another point, actually, in this one. We're in a quarry again, just like in Zygons, and he uh, organises an airstrike. Which is a blow up the bus. <laughs> I love the airstrike. It's like, it's uh, but he also says, uh, in a couple of hours, that place will, that bus will be blown to go high. And it's like, a couple of hours? Yeah. <laughs> I would have thought a grenade launcher would have been more than, uh, you know. Adequate. Um, but, yeah, adequate. Like you said, uh, Steve, last week about Autons, like the Brigadier is always, he's in, in the back of Doctor's mind, he's always trying to get out, get off Earth. Mm-hmm. In the back of the Brigadier's mind, he's always trying to protect the Earth. And so yeah. he's mm. like, I don't want to get my hands on that bomb. And, <laughs> yeah, you've yeah. The, yeah, you've got those two sides of the story where the Brigadier's talking about basically mm. the equivalent of nuclear deterrence yeah. and then you have the doctor saying no no that's not the way you've already got yes. it you've already got it anyway and, yeah. I, and I love the fact that he already preempted it and boiled out the contents yes. of the bomb yeah. like, you're, not, you're not getting your hands on it yeah. forget about it you know for, for him being a tough and all the rest of it this is a doctor who is also a, a pacifist and that's very clear mm. uh, you know in his hand to hand combat he uses Aikido which yeah. is a defensive form yeah. of martial arts yeah. and again that sort of makes him stand out against the you know overtly violent uh, mm. and you know, without even thinking about it, Master, he'll kill you without a second thought. <laughs> Do you know we were talking earlier about Robert Holmes uh, and some like definitive um, writing of his? Uh, I found a line that was pretty definitive of his that we haven't actually touched on yet. Oh. Okay. Now we remember when uh, when the Doctor uh, goes to the circus. Um, what's his name? Rossini. Lou Russell is it? Yeah. But he goes by the name of, of Lu- Luigi Rossini. Yes. Luigi Rossini. <laughs> his first line is, "Who the heck <laughs> are you?" Yeah. In a yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Italian Italian. Italian. Yeah. And then he and then he's always like, "All right, get off my pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Mush." You know, he's all like that. It's great. So when he like when the Doctor gets uh, found and they they take the Doctor into one of the caravans, they they tie him to a chair, uh, and he's like. And he wants answers. I think where the doctor's trying to like work out um, his motivations, his motivations yeah. behind what he's doing, what what's in it for him. Mm-hmm. How much are they paying you? <laughs> come, come, doctor, gentlemen, don't discuss money. Nonsense. Gentlemen never talk about anything else. Great line. I feel like that's fairly Robert Holmesy. Would you not yeah. say? Like, it's, yeah, it's those, that shade of cynicism that come, sometimes comes into it, his writing, and that's an example for sure. It's just it, sort of vinegar wit. I mean, you're tied yeah, up, yeah, yeah. have have no agency yeah. at this yeah. point. You could very easily be killed, and you're just, you know, Wise slaying this guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've got to talk about the poo doll, right? Yeah, poo goblin, yeah. Oh, that bloody thing. Why did it have to be... Well, like you said, you were saying before, Ed, like, it would have had to have been um, a prop that they could also make a costume for that would look like it. Yeah. But it looks like a guy in a sack. We should be recording this. Let's do it. Oh, we are, are, man. Oh, okay. (laughs) Leave that in. Leave that in. 
Colin, you you know eloquently put it as the poo goblin. Yeah. Um, well, what else would I, you call it? <laughs> I, 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 the thing that's conjured in my mind is like a a little sort of shamanistic, um, almost uh, like a an afrit or a, a digin yeah. type thing. Sure. You know, it's like this little it's like a voodoo. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, a, like yeah. that's what it conjures up to me. I mean, with the fangs yeah, and the little yeah. goatee yeah. as well and, uh, for some reason. Unfortunately, lumpy and brown. Yeah, so, uh, but poo goblin. But I've got to ask you, like a master analog, he's got a little beard, little maybe that's it. It's it's this little simulacrum of himself that that you know is very poorly made. Maybe if in like Last of the Time Lords, instead of Tenant aging into a goblin, right, it'd be the master who ages into that little poo goblin. Oh wow, that's what he would look like—the master in apotheosis. But but I ask you again, and this comes back to the whole thing with the master with his with his shrink ray and mm. you know the, the, the daffodils it's why are you trying to kill people in these very obscure yeah. factions <laughs> because that I... scene inside the house yeah where I know why. the man well, is killed because, because, because the doctor says it he, oh, so says it himself he says something along the lines of um death is never more uh scary or, or, or terrifying as when it comes silently mm-hmm. so these yeah. things you know joel's that that's, aren't meant to kill Jeff is yeah. aren't meant to kill so mm-hmm. that's yeah. why the, that's yeah, the only reason why the film disintegrates after with carbon dioxide so you can't tell it was the death that's right. in the first place yeah. you don't know you don't know the source so i it, reckon no. that's the reason because he he is incredibly sadistic mm. uh someone who he loves clues and, and he, he just, doesn't he just, just want to kill a conquest he wants to do it in a way that will satisfy his yeah. you know creative yeah. intellect mm. he revels in yes it. yeah, yeah. yeah. And so can, I, can yeah. I just say before we move on in regards to the poo goblin be very very thankful that there was not a shot that was cso in front of a toilet with that thing <laughs> Because if it was yeah. running across a toilet, uh, yeah, yeah, I we mean, didn't need to see the ferals. There's bathroom. a big zip yeah. on the back of yeah. the thing, and then when it when it get, <laughs> when it when it tries to stand up, it takes obviously they sped the footage up because it took the guy so long to get up in that suit. Yeah, they, they had did, to speed the footage they? up. Yeah, they did. You mm. know what though? Yeah, like the idea though is is like I know the execution's terrible and the CEO oh, so yeah, you got to forgive it. Yeah, yeah well yeah. that's that's we talked about this last time. There's always going to be something. <laughs> yeah. It was the Loch Ness monster with Zygons. Yes. With this one, you have to forgive the CEO. They had ten quid. It was writers. The writers would have walked in and said. Clive, Rich, you've got ten pounds making me a costume and a prop that are the same thing. We're going to be using something called CSO. I want you to find out all about it. Cool, bloody hell! Hey, bloody hell! I'm even have a fish me out boiled egg. <laughs> The worst part for me is the representation of Tony as the the circus strongman. Yes, yeah. oh, I That's did want to the talk one about one and only thing that I can't yeah. forget. Yeah. Is it Roy Stewart? Roy Stewart, whose yeah. third appearance we see him in two yeah. Cybermen, yeah. Evil of the Daleks, and I think this is his third appearance as so, a, another mute black strongman. Yeah, they didn't really yeah. give him any lines. Non dialogue. And he shows that the first the first scene where you, you see him, he's wearing the a animal print. I mean, he's supposed to be a classic strongman that children can immediately recognise, and it's a big cliche, but it is pretty reductive, and and he's just so. He's very impassive. I think that's the only thing I can't forgive about this. He's a good actor. He's a great actor, and they just—he's mm. great as Toberman, anyway. Oh, well, we, we, I can't wait we to. to we, we we are going to get to Tomb of the Cybermen. We I think, definitely run. Yeah, and we will talk a lot that's about a that one. character at yeah. length. Yeah. One of the things that I love about the eras of Who that we're talking about is the cliffhangers at the end of our 25 <laughs> yeah. episodes. Oh, yeah, okay. Now, this time <laughs> round, I'm not saying we need to do this all the time, but this time round, I actually wrote down all of the cliffhangers for each of the episodes, and I wanted to sort of discuss which ones we thought which were better than others. Which is the best one? Yeah, I've got my favourite. My okay. favourite is... Let's just whiz through them real quick. Okay, okay. episode one, it's Joe under hypnosis with the bomb in the yep. unit lab. Great. Okay, so that was a great cliffhanger because yep. it's about to explode, it starts fizzing, and then exit music. Mm. 
The second one, which is my personal favourite, is Joe and the Doctor realise oh. the policemen that are driving them are autons, and, then they rip and we get off. the demasking of the policemen so on the screen. That, that, that is my favourite. Yep. Uh, yep. It's one of the best cliffhangers ever. It's very Doctor Who. It's, one of, again, one of those shots, isn't Do it? Do you know also that that particular idea of the policemen being exposed as mm. autons unnerved the British public so much yeah. that there were mm. questions in the Houses of Parliament about it. <gasps> what? Wow. Yeah. Really? Why, it was basically, Why are what we... are the BBC doing representing mm. our police force as untrustworthy? Wow. wow. I, could yeah. see, I could see it, for yeah. sure. Definitely. Yeah. It's, even more, it's, it's, even, it's much scarier and nastier than, like, um, than violence or the thing kind of yes. Mer- the Mary Whitehouse Brigade kind of went mm. on about. Uh, episode, well, episode three, three. Uh, that's Cat Weasel being strangled by the killer Auton telephone. That's... Well, I guess, so what are your criteria in judging which of these three is the best? Because yeah, if you're looking at high comedy and fast... Marking rubric. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's an excellent point. Yeah, okay. High comedy and fast, well, we're going with... If you want to have a giggle, that, that wins the Emmy, for sure. Yeah. Episode four, there's not really much of a cliffhanger at all. It's just it's just the it's just the, it's fact the crap that joke. Smart, yeah, it's the crap joke. It's the usual at crap the expense joke. of um, at the Eight expense of the lower classes, uh, <laughs> yeah. the unit soldiers. Yeah. Just like in the ter- uh, terror of the Zygons last last That's time, true. Yeah. it was at the expense of, of the, the Scottish. Scottish. Yes, uh, oh, so really true, nasty. so true. Nice work, BBC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I've seen that that unmasking scene so many times, and it's stuck in my memory. But I'd love to. Like, but Ed, it was the first time you ever saw it. Right? Yeah, and I was affected by it. I have to agree with Colin that that was quite the shot. I mean, mm. the unmask and that shot on the head of the Auton mm-hmm. is incredible. And the noise Joe makes, she really, um, yeah, she's really sc- scans, yeah, gives good. it a good yeah. scream. Yeah. What's worse is that they're rescued by the Auton yeah, from the, yeah, the circus yeah. folk who are about to a, bash them with a baseball yeah, bat. Yeah, the the carny mob. Yeah. <laughs> per- Pertwee actually cops a baseball he bat does. in the shoulder. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and, right. you, and Joe oh, screams. And they're really tearing at Joe. That's really weird. It's yeah. like a group of men tearing at Joe. That's really Not nice. No. But yeah, no, I, I agree, Colin. I think, um, yeah, that episode two, clearly, yeah. you know, that's my favourite. Uh, comedy and fast. The winner is, of course, uh, Cat Weasel with the telephone cord. <laughs> I think we should make um, it a thing. Yeah, I think we should uh, make this a fun. thing. You don't get cliffhangers really in Who very often. Mm. Only between that's true, two actually. Yeah. Yeah. and you know what? It's something it's that suffered. Staple. Yeah, and it suffered in sometimes sometimes with later the later years. That and I there's a lot of it. there's a lot it, of bad yeah. ones. Well, bad ones where it's like, oh, we just ran out of time. That's not really yeah. a cliffhanger. It's just where the episode ended. Mm. Uh, we should celebrate the cliffhanger. <laughs> I think. Uh, with what it. we're doing, yeah. Okay, that's a fair idea. I want to I up the stakes, though. I want to okay. have them matched against one of the best, um, or what we consider to be some of the best uh, New Who cliffhangers as well, because there's some good ones. Right. But, uh, you know, from the later series we had at the, in, in terms of the Under the Lake, before yeah, the Flood that's exactly what I was thinking. That's oh a my great, yeah. God, that's that was a great one. Doctor, yeah. the dead doctor that's as good as any and that, better than most. Really so if, if, we, if we have that in our, in our mind... Okay. Which, which one of the, uh, cliff, uh, of the old Who, classic Who cliff, cliffhangers match up to that one? <laughs> to that one? All right. In, uh, uh, in out this of one, this story. The autumn It's review. episode two. Yeah. Yeah. It's episode, episode two. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. There's a number of other influences that you know bear onto uh, this particular era of Doctor Who and the terror of the autons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it is at this point in time that glam rock is making a <laughs> huge cultural impact. Yeah. So we've talked about the CSO and the way in which that sort of really does sort of mirror the sort of far out and trippy imagery mm, of, mm. of glam rock and surrealism too. Full disclosure, yep. uh, listeners, uh, Steve is a massive Bowie fan and glam rock fan in general, so <laughs> it's probably going to come in a few times. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm going to have to fess up to that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, 
again, this is this is something that um, intentionally or not, and it's probably unintentional. It's sort of like a, a an unconscious uh, absor- absorption of the zeitgeist. It's it's Letts and Dicks really sort of, and Holmes in particular mm-hmm. is a scriptwriter too, um, and the production team you know at the BBC really sort of mirroring mm-hmm. what's out there, the aesthetic at the time. We talked about plastic, yep. polyester, glam rock is part of that period as well. Yep. It ties in, I suppose, as a modern form of surrealism, which we see with the um, the Time Lord who appears. Um, in the sky, which again is a, a, a reflection of the um, Greek painting Golconda, uh, yeah. with the men reigning from um, you know dressing bowler, bowler hat, hat and three piece suit with umbrella. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so all of these are sort of um, I suppose cultural influences on the look and feel of what is early seventies Doctor Who. Mm. It's mm. colour, right? We don't get colour until season seven. So Pertwee is is not just colour; it is just technicolour. If yeah, you know. wild, mm. wild colour. <clears throat> ah. And at the same time, it's very much influenced by the emerging technologies of the day. So, you know, I said earlier, CSO is the CGI of its day. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, technology and the role of that um, in um, late sixties and through to the seventies in Britain is, plays a big part. Not least because of the Harold Wilson government. Mm. He talks about the white heat of technology as a something that will you know bring Britain into the future. Um, um, and Harold Wilson is also the uh, the guy who g- gave us that quote a week. He's a long time in politics. Mm. Um, so, you know, Doctor Who is very much influenced by what's around it at that time. We should probably bring it back to our mission statement, and that is... Uh why are we watching this? Why should anybody watch this? Okay, you're asking me because I've chosen it, I am asking right? you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to say that what Doctor Who is now in its perfected formula over many, many decades... Uh, can be traced back to this particular story. We have the Doctor at the centre, at the very centre of the show. We have the contemporaneous girl from uh, this point in time who sure. is the companion, and it's yeah. the Doctor and the companion. It's not mm. an ensemble cast mm. outside in mm. um, uh, those two. The ensemble cast, I suppose, comes from the family back on Earth. We have that with you know the Jackie Tylers, uh, and we also have yeah, that with, for with, sure. with, with Martha's I family as well. I'm just thinking about the contemporaneous girl. You are really right, because Hartnell and Troughton, had, they had a lot of... They've got Victoria from the past, they had mm-hmm. Zoe from the future, mm-hmm. they've got Jamie from the past. A lot of, They're sort of scattered from all different places. And, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. there are contemporaneous people, but like uh, Ben and Polly, I think, right? They, yeah, but they mm-hmm. seem to be the Ian exception, and, and it's never the doctor and the girl. Someone from today. And yeah, it's, it's like the young 20s girl... The Doctor, who's an elder figure, um, mm. that sort of pairing is, is solidified here for yeah. the first time, um, and, and obviously the family as well. But also the other thing is the alien invasions. Up until this point in time, Doctor Who doesn't do alien invasions. Mm. Doctor Who is out amongst the stars and time and space and all that mm. kind of thing. It's not until we get grounded back into the uh, the Pertwee unit years that the alien invasion mm. plot and becomes a staple of Doctor Who. I mean, they've, I... Had, they've had it before. They, we had invasion and then Dalek invasion of Earth, but it's the, the Dalek minor. invasion had already happened. <clears throat> like, it's already done. And yeah, But these are isolated examples of no more than a handful over you know the first mm. six years of the yeah, show, which, right. which let's and not it, forget, has uh, like an incredibly for 40 weeks of the year so this is perhaps you know the first time that it becomes codified as a staple of the show as a recurring theme and motif Mm. Um, so we see it all here I think the prototype of Doctor Who comes back to season 8 and it comes back most specifically in terms of uh, terror of the Autons. So uh, we did invite Ed to get his take because he is um, the demographic we're aiming for, and also a, a good friend. And mm. yeah, why don't you and, tell us what you thought? Yeah. Terror of the Autons. It's there's a couple of different levels to it. Um, you can watch it just as a standalone, out of context, and you get a nice little 
kind of action story and even if you're not familiar with who you, you're going to be able to pick up on these the Sherlock and Mor- um, Moriarty mm. type uh, motifs and, and things like that and uh, if you have an appreciation for any film production we've spoken at length about a lot of the interesting things <laughs> that happened <laughs> there mm. but what I love about having this discussion with you guys and having watched it in some more critical detail is yeah all of this little the the little minor bits of continuity and how this particular story really is an important template for what comes after it um even extending into the new who realm and so it's Mm. it's fascinating to hear your guys take on it i loved it as a a story just because of all the bizarre Mm. stuff that the master does which is awesome (laughs) thoroughly enjoyable yeah i mean the the creative and crazy deaths i mean if if nothing else you've got action by havoc and you've got mm. crazy and creative deaths of, mm. of you know innocent bystanders which you know, i feel kind of bad about but it's entertaining television yep. so yep. ed i agree with everything you just said <laughs> right so we should start thinking about next time uh, yeah. and what story we're going to do next time steve it's going to be Earthshock. Oh, yeah. Oh, brutal. <gasps> it is New brutal. Doctor? It is. Yeah. It's, it's the fifth Doctor, Peter mm. Davison, uh, the celery-wearing cricketer, mm. who I have to admit um, was my Doctor not as a child but as an adolescent out of choice. Yep. Uh, a character that I could very much identify yep. at the time and probably still can. Um, it is one of the signpost serials in the show's history. Um, it's problematic, but very it's also... Very problematic. Yeah, but it's mm. also very, very beautiful, very, very watchable. Um, yeah. But there'll be more on that next time. And yeah. I don't I'm, not leave... t- I'm not going to tell you who the villains are. No, we uh, shouldn't. We, shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I don't we should leave... allow you sweet dogs to find out for yourselves. <laughs> I don't want to leave Holmes behind. I don't want to... We've done two oh, stories that are going to... Are we going to revisit Holmes? We certainly will. Yeah, okay, great. That's all I need to know. <laughs> I'd also like to take this opportunity to say a massive thank you to Ed for joining us today. Yeah, that's my uh, pleasure, fellow in... dorks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> thank yeah. Thank you for sitting in with your enormous booming radio voice. Yeah. yeah. That thespian tongue of yours uh, is going to lick the ears of every sweet dork <laughs> in podcast land Jeez. when this if episode you, uh, oh my god if only we could have you back from Japan for like a follow up show come back for, when you come back yeah. for a visit well, yeah, we'll yeah, take I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be back for a visit maybe yeah, maybe happen. listen to what I end up what the finished product is first before <laughs> yeah, you decide yeah, yeah, you might it. be like oh, I've done it I've, done <laughs> okay, it. I've edited my own voice before yeah. I know how bad it can be and so I'm not yeah, gonna, yeah. Yeah, I don't have any no, you heard it. You heard it here, folks. Uh, he's committed. He will be back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We hope you'll be back. We hope you'll join us again. Yeah. Uh, for new to who? Yeah, absolutely. Well, until next time. Uh, good night. Good night. Bye. Bye. Terror of the Autons was first transmitted on the BBC from the 2nd of January to the 23rd of January 1971, and it was written by the visionary Robert Holmes. The original cover painting for the 1975 Doctor Who target novelisation Terror of the Autons by Terence Dix is by Peter Brooks. You can either buy Terror of the Autons on DVD from BBC Online or buy the episodes on iTunes. And you can follow us here at New to Who on Facebook and Twitter at New to Who Podcast or even email us at newtowhopodcast at gmail.com. All New to Who podcast episodes can be found to stream on our website www.newtowho.com and you can also click subscribe on iTunes. We hate goodbyes, so it's until next time. Here's the theme. You've come here to kill me, of course, but not without considerable regret. 
You see, Doctor, you're my intellectual equal. I have so few worthy opponents. When they've gone, I always miss them. <laughs>